Alrighty, here we go. Episode 38, we're back. We are within the fortnight of Ultra Trail Australia, which is going to be a big focus on this. We're also going to go back um, only seven or eight days, doing this on Labor Day on the, on the uh, what is it, so 3rd of May, uh, Monday afternoon we're recording this. We're going to go back a little over a week to what we've deemed as the unofficial amateur parkrun world championships, certainly national titles, I would imagine. I couldn't imagine there's much better anything happening around the country for parkrun than what happened at Paradise Point. We are a bit biased, though. Kyle, you are you are yes. back. You're you're within, as you said, in within two weeks of Ultra Trail Australia now. You've got the marathon coming up, so you have many eggs in many baskets at the moment, but I'm going to talk analogies here. You're not going to be counting your chickens too early. Tell us what's been, no. <laughs> tell us what's been happening. Long <laughs> you're, run. You're exactly right. Yeah. No, I've – so – as I kind of said last week, I've had another good couple of weeks. We'll get into parkrun because that was kind of the big build-up we had last time. That was last weekend. Um, so leading into that, I did. I actually did a little session with Luke on the, I believe it was the Tuesday or Thursday, I can't remember. And we did six 800s. And I remember we got through that and I, I kind of got a bit quicker towards the end. And I think I averaged about three oh or low threes for the last few reps. And that kind of got me thinking for the parkrun, okay, Maybe I'm going to be in quite good shape and I will be able to go out quite fast and kind of attack that course record. So I went into parkrun fairly confident based off that session and, you know, we'll dive into that after I finish this. But, yeah, got through that, which went well, which we'll get into. And then this last week, I I didn't pull up too sore from parkrun. And I don't know about you, you probably comment on this as well because you did a big run the day after. But I just felt a bit fatigued, probably the first half of this last week just gone. So I took it really easy the first probably three days of the week, just jogged, even though legs felt good, just generally a bit fatigued just from that effort. I think people underestimate how much those real 100% efforts take out of you at the end of those runs. So took it easy and then got a message off Luke on Wednesday night saying, I've got to be home early in the morning. I'm going to do some hill reps. And I thought, that sounds horrible. That is the last thing I feel like doing at the moment is some hill reps. So then I stupidly said, okay, we'll do some hill reps. So he he came around and met me from from near my place, near where our houses are, and we found this nice big hill that I've never actually done hill reps on, but every time I've run on it, I thought this would be a really tough hill to do hill reps on. So we did a session where we did, it was almost like a monophart, like of hill reps, but not quite. We did two by 90 seconds, four by a minute, four by 45 seconds, and four by 30 seconds. It does. It sounds easy. I, I, yeah. We said that at the start, and I thought that yeah, that won't be too bad. And I reckon we got two reps in, and just went, "This is a terrible idea. This is horrible." So, got through that session. That was really tough, um, but they're so good for you those sessions. And I think we knew it when we finished. We didn't enjoy one minute of it, but they're just such such good sessions to build your build your strength. And you know, we got that done. And then that was the one other session I'd done for the week. And so we we're both kind of talking and thought, you know, we've got our long run coming up on Sunday. Maybe we'll turn that into a little bit of a marathon-type session. So given that I'm going to have a reasonably interrupted run into the marathon over the next couple of months, I thought I need to take these chances to get these you know, good long runs in. And we started off, and initially the plan was I said to him, we'll do 3 by 4 k at around that marathon effort, which turned into 3 by 5 k in the first kilometre of the run. I don't know. That was probably my silly idea. Um, so we went out and did a long run with 3 by 5 k marathon effort and yeah, it was a good chance to practice getting gels in at that pace as well, which was probably the main other reason I wanted to start practicing it, um, which is challenging in itself, just actually getting a gel, just actually mechanically running that fast, actually trying to open a wrapper and eat it properly without spilling it all over yourself. So that was good practice. But we got through the 3 by 5 k 
um, and felt really good and then kind of rolled home towards the end, still feeling really good. So we got about 32Ks done um, and it, it was a real good confidence boost because it was still quite humid. I think Strava told me it was 94% humidity. So we'll take that definitely that it was extremely yeah. humid and not ideal yeah. conditions. Um, but no, it was a good, oh, it may as yeah. well be 100. And it was good. It was a good confidence boost. I know we're still, you know, I've had people kind of comment on this. We're still a long way out from the marathon and asking me if I'm going to keep building it from here and blah, blah, blah. But it was, I think it was just that the timing fit. We were both feeling good. We wanted a long hit out and we went for it. And that was another thing that I know we'll talk about a little gripes the other week with age groups and things is people who, who look at people's training runs that do either really big runs or really hard runs and just think, oh, that's silly. Why would you do that in training? That's too hard. But at the same time, if someone else went out and did a half marathon race or something the same day at a, you know, a moderate tempo effort, they'd tell them, oh, that's so smart. Well done going out and doing a moderate tempo effort race. <laughs> so I don't think, so I don't think our long two. run was anything, this is, think this is, run was anything too ridiculous i don't so think this is people... this is version this is version two of carl's gripes it's strava stalkers isn't it people who trawl strava and pass judgment oh, on other no. people's training run i know but is it, just going into that though um when you look at your training run you did say you're a long way out from the marathon but we've spoken about this in the past when you consistently are fit and you're consistently uninjured your ability to build and your ability to quickly go into race preparation is so much easier than isn't it but if if, if you're starting from a 20-week marathon build or a 16-week marathon build from scratch, which sometimes a lot of people are, that's how you can really get injured and that's why your build has to be so slow. But you've been obviously consistent over the last four or five years. You can very quickly and very easily build this up without the worry of getting injured and you can be a lot more flexible with your training program, can't you? Well, I feel like if you look at my weekly volume, like it was nothing out of the ordinary. I'd only done one hill rep session that week. The volume was pretty much the exact same. It was just that there was a few efforts within that long run. Um, and yeah. yeah, it looks a bit quicker overall just because we 15Ks of it, well, nearly half the session was done at kind of up towards that marathon effort. And yeah, but again, it's it's no different from someone going out and doing a half marathon at a 90% effort two months out from a marathon. You'd think, oh, that's absolutely reasonable. Like, why wouldn't you do that? It's a great idea. So I think those sessions, if done appropriately and not all the time, can be really useful and beneficial, um, but you can't do them all the time. So that, that's the type of session that we might do, maybe another you know, two or three of those types of big hard sessions over the next you know, six or seven weeks, and that'll probably be it. So that was just the first one of those kind of bigger sessions that will evenly kind of spread out across the next couple of months in the lead up. But that was a, that was a big confidence boost because I've had a few of those big long runs that have felt really good. And that's probably the one thing that I haven't been doing much of lately is actual big long runs. I've done yeah. a few, you know, mid 20 Ks and, you know, hitting some good sessions and the short, fast stuff's feeling good and my volume's consistent, but I haven't done those big, hard, long runs. So I'm kind of going into these runs feeling quite fresh given I haven't done heaps and heaps of volume in a single run. So that's another reason why I'm kind of happy to start pushing these out a little bit as well, just because I'm feeling good. So that like, you know, we've both finished that run and you know, both said we could have happily kept running for another hour if we really wanted to. So that's a good yeah. sign for, for Luke and I both going forward into the marathon. And one of the things you mentioned there, which um, I think gets overlooked by a lot of people is the practicing of taking on nutrition at that pace, isn't it? Which is quite difficult. I remember years ago when I used to jump in a few of Jacko's groups when he was just starting Runco, we ran with uh, one of, a workmate of yours, Miles Burfield, and he used to do we do sort of 20-minute tempo efforts and he used to take a gel and have a gel at 10 minutes and I used to say to him, like, what are you doing, mate? It's like a 20-minute effort. He says, I'm not doing this for for long-term nutrition. I'm just doing it to see if my gut can handle it and whether I can actually open this gel, have it at pace, consume it, and whether my stomach can actually 
handle the fluid and the viscosity and everything at pace, which I think, you know, can sometimes be overlooked, can't it? So definitely putting your gels, putting any kind of food that you're going to have into a race sort of preparation, into your training plan. I know the last couple of, the last month, I've tried absolutely everything that I possibly could have at UTA. I've had sandwiches, I've had cream rice, I've had bananas, I've had potatoes, I've had gels, I've had just everything. Just I've gone out for some training runs on just a big belly full of cream rice or I've gone out in a long run and had no gels but just had sandwiches and bananas because you just got to try everything. And I, I remember reading about cyclists in particular having this iron stomach because cyclists will just eat and eat and eat while they're on the bike and they seem to handle everything. But I guess the the vertical movement that we get as runners can sometimes make your stomach unsettled, which is even more of a reason to practice it, isn't it? It's 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 oh, a, and it's crucial. It's crucial, exactly right. And that was the big thing I found is like you know preparing for a marathon's nutrition is a little bit different to, to an ultra because just because the time frames. But I was amazed because I when I look back at it, I was like I've probably never actually tried to get a gel down running that pace before. When yeah. I, th- I think back through it, like I've done some halves and stuff where I probably I don't even think, I think I might have had some liquid calories, but no gels. So that was probably the first time I've ever actually tried to open and eat a gel trying to run at that kind of effort. And it's harder. It's much harder. So mm. that was kind of good to get a couple of those in and, and practice that. And like you said, I think the big key for the the long trail stuff with nutrition is just have tried the options. You've got to have options. I spoke to some one of the athletes about that this week for UTA is you want to have a plan B and a plan C as well. You might get a couple of hours into the run and have this amazing nutrition plan of these, you know, the gels that you're going to have. And all of a sudden you just go, hmm, I don't feel like any gels anymore. And you just stop eating yeah. for, you know, an hour and you miss an hour. You've got to have those backup options. So having tried all those different options will suit you perfectly because, you know, if you don't feel like one thing, you've got another three or four things that you can fall back on and still get your calories in. So I think that's a, a big takeaway for, for your ultra training. So it's nine weeks now to the marathon and nine weeks the weekend just passed. So um, how long out would you be saying, you know, the last couple of long runs should be done for marathon runners? How many weeks out? I'll probably do and like again this will be a little bit different for me just giving up the wedding and things coming up that'll be around the time where I'd probably be doing those sessions but I like I said I'll probably do another couple of those type of bigger long runs and everyone's got their own opinions on how long you need to run in a long run leading up to a marathon I probably won't run much longer than two and a half hours I'll probably go out to two hours 45 maybe once, maybe twice, but that'll be about it. And there'll only be another maybe two of those that'll have harder efforts in them at that kind of longer distance as well. And they'll probably be somewhere around that, I would say somewhere between two and a half and three weeks out and then somewhere around that probably four weeks out around that kind of time frame. I'll have a few big sessions. But I'm generally, again, and this is where everyone's different as far as how long of a taper they feel like they need and whatnot, whereas I generally do better off a shorter taper, like, you know, the volume will just drop back a little bit and I'll keep some intensity in there and some short, sharp efforts in that last kind of fortnight. Um, But I tend to freshen up reasonably quickly off training, whereas other people feel like they need a couple of weeks to kind of really, really freshen up. So everyone's a bit different there. But again, I think with my training, I'm quite fluid with it. I, I don't have everything completely written out from now until the marathon. It'll be based on how my body feels and what I'm feeling like doing that week as to when I do push and don't push. Because I think if you just have everything super structured and don't change it based on how your weeks are progressing, then you can get caught in that trap of just trying to hit splits that have been written on paper two months ago that you had no idea how you were going to be tracking or feeling. So I probably won't have that exact plan until a couple of weeks before it. Yeah. Now, just one more thing on the Gold Coast Marathon before we shift over um, to other topics. I did a little bit of uh, looking around at previous results now, the three-hour mark is obviously a magic number for lots of people and lots of amateurs. They want to hit that. What, what place, Kyle, do you reckon three hours got at the last 
proper marathon that we had in 2019. What what place do you reckon three hours got? Uh, I reckon it would have got. Oh, that's a good question. I reckon it would have got around oh, maybe 127th. On the on, no exactly on the number 300th. Wow, really? 300th. Yep, 300th okay. was. was Two hours fifty nine and fifty something, and then three oh one was I think five seconds over. Now here's wow. the interesting thing: yeah. I then looked at the half marathon and ran what, right. What time did three hundredth place in the half marathon run? And they ran a one twenty six twenty. And then I looked mm. at the ten k and looked at three hundredth place, and they ran forty two minutes. Now here's the interesting thing: I went across to the Jack Daniels running calculator, which lots of people use, and lots of people find it phenomenally accurate. When I punched in a three-hour marathon mark, it spat out a half marathon one second off what 300, the equivalent half marathon was. So at the Gold Coast, 126.20, Jack Daniels says you want to be running about a 126.21 to break three hours. That's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? That's a, that's a pretty amazing stat. Um, it is. Which shows how, it shows how competitive our half marathon and marathon is. Yeah. I think this year it's going to be quicker. I think this year there's going to be so many more people coming from hopefully interstate because I think it's going to be the major marathon in the country for the year. The interesting thing was the Jack Daniels calculator says for a three-hour marathon runner, you want to be running a 39-minute 10K um, as, your, as your PB. These aren't, these aren't your splits going through the 10K or the halfway mark. These are, these are flat races. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty amazed at that. Now, Kyle, then I'd put in another number just out of curiosity. I typed in 15.29, which we haven't released yet, but that's what you got at um, – Paradise Point, and just see what that spat out for a marathon. Have you, you've done that, surely, haven't you? I did do that within probably a couple of hours of running that time. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say what it came out in case you don't want to say it on air, but is it possible? No, Confident? so it yeah. comes out at around it comes out at around 228 because I had a look it's at it, and yeah. I looked at that and thought, no, no, I don't think so. I think that's a touch quick. It makes me more confident that 230 is in the realm of possibility that's yep. for sure. Um, and I think that run in just in general will go into probably gave me a bit of confidence for the marathon. But I, even if I managed to run a faster 5K in the next six weeks, I still I know kind of what the goal is that I'm aiming for. And if, if it just means that I do it 1% easier or yeah. you know, I could have gone 1% faster, I'll take that. So yeah. I'm still pretty <laughs> set in what time I want to run. If I can keep just getting fitter and fitter, then that's just a bonus. Yeah. But, yeah, so there you go, the Jack Daniels calculator. As I said, it's um, it's interesting I don't think it should be taken too seriously and held. I mean, a lot of people have, have looked at it and said there's, it's miles out. A lot of people love it and say it's perfect. So take it with a grain of salt like most things in amateur sport. But, um, yeah, Kyle, this is going to be a big episode. We've got a very special guest on this, Kerry Suter, who um, is obviously the one of the founders and owners of Squad Run. Uh, but most people know him as the voice of Ultra Trail Australia and certainly the voice of Tarawera. Um, he's going to join us. We're going to talk for hopefully a long time. He loves a chat, Kerry, so we're going to chat for a long time about Everything to do with Ultra Trail because it's only uh, less than two weeks away now. So we're going to ask him, you know, about his recollections, about some great moments on the commentator's finish line. We're going to ask him about who his potential favourites are for the weekend. We'll get into a bit of advice. Um, not, as we said, it's pretty a bit too late to change anything now, but just curiosity of what he thinks of the course because Squad Run come over and they have uh, training camps over here at, in the Blue Mountains. So Kerry... No one would know the finish line. No one knows the um, the course like him. But we're going to get to that a bit later. But before that, Kyle, let's um, let's jump to the big one. It was it was nine days ago, by my count, the uh, the National Park Run Championships, certainly the Northern Gold Coast World Championships. Um, 
it was a bumper crowd, and I did realize Kyle standing on that start line, man, I need some new shoes because yes, what was do. once what was once frowned upon for wearing carbon plated shoes at a park run and and was certainly a case for Adzi Gordon giving out many yellow cards is now the norm, certainly at that top end. Um, if you stand there in anything but carbon plated shoes, you kind of feel a bit out of place. But uh, but what a what a day it was! It, it it we kind of set this up and we we chatted to people from other clubs and other training groups to try and get, I guess, the record broken and to try and get people racing faster than they've ever been able to race before and people getting PBs and all those kind of things. And it it kind of achieved every single one of our um, objectives. Now, as a bit of a I mean, no one can see this here because we don't do the video, but I'm drinking a little can of Mountain Goat here, which I bought because uh, I lost a bet um, nine days ago. I did I did challenge Luke Kilborn to a two-minute game, which, Kyle, you and I have had um, in the past as well, but a different minute. But I, I challenged Luke that I could get within two minutes of him, um, and I didn't. I missed it by 16 seconds, 15 seconds. So as a result, I had to buy Lukey um, six-pack of beer. He wasn't at Wednesday Walkers to accept the six-pack of beer, so I've just cracked them open. I hope that's okay. I don't know what the rules are, but... Um, <laughs> So, yeah, who knows? I'll have to get him some other ones. But, yeah, it was a beautiful weathered morning, wasn't it? There was light uh, light breeze. It was cool. The blue sky it was set up absolutely perfectly. The only thing missing was obviously the live Facebook feed and the drone above it and, I don't know, the voice of Bruce McAvaney or someone commentating through it. But it was epic. Um, I don't know where to start, Kyle. So let's just... Let's just let's just go yeah. from the start line. It like was, I know you, yeah. you got you got to see it from an incredible point of view. Obviously, yeah, you know, I got to see a little bit of it. And the, we had a big crowd there, which was great as well, wasn't it? So talk us through it. The it, the, the, the lead pack. That's what we want to know about. How did it unfold? Okay, no, it was it was good. So like you could just sense when we all got there and everyone kind of started warming up. It felt like we were at a big race. I've never had that feeling at Park Run before. I don't think many people do, but. I felt like I was on the start line of a proper race. I felt weird not putting a bib on. I felt like we should have all had bibs on on the start line. But we were going through our jog, our warm-up, and we are also kind of – I did my warm-up with Luke, and we are looking around going, okay, yep, Troy's here, Adzi's here. We are kind of ticking off everyone that we thought was going to be here just to see whether they were here or not. Um, And then we were running back just finishing our our warm-up, and Jordan McLennan walked past, and I thought, oh, no, there we go. There's the win gone. (laughs) There goes the course record, which turns out he was just there to pace one of his friends. So – that we found that out just before the start line as well. But no, it was exciting. So we all got onto the start line and you could tell everyone was a bit excited and it was just good to see everyone in their singlets there and, and the whole crew together. Um, and then, yeah, we, we went off and we'll have to put them up at some times because we got some really good video footage from people that were on the course of a few of the, the spots around, and especially the start line video was just amazing listening to everyone run past. But um Zach Cachola, he went out really hard, which turns out he was just going to be pacing that first K in a bit um, for his brother um, and his dad was there as well. So he went out really hard. So we all kind of formed a really nice pack with everyone who we'd spoken about being in that front pack. So I was kind of tucked in behind Michael um, Cachola and Zach was next to me and then I think Luke was right on my shoulder and then there was well, the rest of us, Jack Adzi, Desmond, Troy, trying to think if I'm missing anyone else there. I don't think so. I think that was pretty much everyone. Um, we were all kind of in this pack. And then we hit a K and Zach had kind of come back to us at that point and then stepped off. And then we hit the boardwalk. And I remember, I won't forget this. We, we were about 10 metres onto the boardwalk and we all looked up ahead and there was this lady walking her dog off the lead, this little black fluffy dog. And for people who know that boardwalk, it's not the widest boardwalk in the world. So we thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. So we all yelled out and luckily the dog stayed to the left and no one no one ran into the dog because we were moving reasonably quick at that point and that's the last thing you need is a dog running through the middle of a pack. Um, and it was just awesome. That first K and a half just sitting in a big pack like that, I just felt straight away. I was thought this just feels easier than running by yourself. So it was a good sign. 
And then like you called a couple of weeks ago that the interesting parts of this race were going to be at the U-turns and that definitely happened on the first U-turn. So we all kind of went into the U-turn as to be expected. We kind of strung out a little bit in a single file coming out of the U-turn. And then as we all kind of bunched back together, runners started coming the opposite way as did one of the dogs. So we all had to kind of squeeze together. And at that point, there was still, I think, nine of us together, nine or 10 of us together. And we all kind of had to cram together within, you know, almost single file really quickly. And Troy came across and Jack was just in front of him and Troy clipped Jack, the back of Jack's foot in his in his backswing of his, his running. And Jack went down and we all heard it happen. And you can almost hear his shin scraping along the boardwalk as he fell. But as quick as we heard that and all kind of turned around, he was back up straight away. So he bounced back up extremely quickly and kind of jumped straight back onto the back. And that was kind of like an interesting, okay, we all need to pay attention here because we're running in a quite a big pack and reasonably quick. And then we hit the 2K split. And in my head, I think, I don't know if we chatted about this, but I knew that if we were running around kind of three tens, that was probably the right pace for us to be running at if we were going to kick down and run a bit quicker at the end. And I think we split 309 and then around 311 or 312 for the second K. And I reckon... I don't know, this just kind of happened, but we hit 2K and then I could just tell like, so at that point, Jackson Cachola, he kind of started pushing the pace and took the lead and I tucked in behind him and I could just tell we were running quicker. I, was, I didn't look at my watch at all, but I could just tell we were moving really well. And then it had started to string out a little bit there and I didn't look back once, but I could just hear there wasn't as much breathing behind me. So I knew there was still a few guys there, but it wasn't quite as busy of a pack as it was in the first 2K and then we hit the 3K split and I looked down and it was 3.05 and I thought, okay, this is going to be either really good or really bad at the end for a lot of us A lot of us here. Um, and then at, at that point, I think there was still Jacko was in front, I was second, Troy was third and Luke was fourth. Um, and then a couple of the other guys had just started to fall off the back a little bit. I think um, Desmond with, was with Adzi and Jack was with Michael. And then we hit the kind of three and a half K mark where we go back past the finish under the bridge. And I think that's where Troy started to fall off a bit. And then we hit and Jacko kept pushing. So I just stuck to him as, you know, as much as I could. My plan at that point was just hang on. I knew we were running quick was just hang on to his back as long as I could. I didn't think I had much left in me getting towards that last bit, but I knew if I just hung on for, you know, it was one more minute and then it was one more minute. And we turned around and saw that Luke was in third, but he was probably 15, 20 meters back at that point. Um, so I thought, okay, at that point I was pretty confident. I was like, I've got at least second here to all first with Jacko. And then we kept pushing. And then I reckon we got to about 500 to go and he just kicked and up to another gear and I had nothing left. <laughs> we made that last U-turn and I, I tried to push and I was like, I'm just, I was giving it everything I had and I did not have much left. And I only then for the first real time looked down at my watch with about oh, 200 meters to go roughly. And I remember looking down and it was still under 15 minutes. It was just about to tick over 15 minutes. And that was the first time I was like, okay, we're going to run really quick here. And then I remember I looked down pretty much on the finish line and saw that it had just ticked over. I think I was just under 15.30. So I was, I knew, I reckon I was in shape to kind of run around 15.40 was kind of in my head. That's what I thought I could run around that course record. But I didn't think I'd quite go 15, 15.29. So Jacko ended up taking the win in 15.25, which is now the new course record. Yep. Um, I got second to him in 15.29. And then Luke had an incredible run. He came third in 15.40. Desmond yep. was just behind him, just like you called, an amazing battle between Luke and Desmond in the end. He ran 15.44. Yep. Adzi was fifth in 15.49. Troy was sixth in 15.50. 
Jack ran 15.57, and it turns out he had quite a bad rolled ankle from his fall at about a mile into the run, which when he took his shoe off, his ankle blew up straight away. So he's still not back running yet. He broke 16 minutes for the first time as well. And then Michael Cachola was eighth, and he ran 16.04. So that's how it ended up. So, And then I'll get you to kind of talk through your race a little bit as well because there was some great battles just behind our group at the same time. Oh, it was unreal. But I've got a couple of questions first of all. So you said, because when we, when we, well, actually, first of all, the fall that happened at one and a half K, um, first of all, I'm quite relieved that it actually happened on the boardwalk because if that had happened on the concrete, I think it could have been a different story, couldn't it? Um, the boardwalk's a bit springier. So it's one of those things where you'd gone past you in the opposite direction and you know, like you kind of, you're not listening for things when you're running, but you're aware of something different. And I heard this thud behind me and I just, I remember saying to whoever it was next to me, that sounded different, but didn't check and didn't mm. turn around to have a look at it. So we actually heard the, the you know, the small little clip between Jack and Troy and we heard Troy, Jack hit the ground, but it was just weird. Like you had a sense that, oh no, something hasn't quite happened there that should have happened. And we got, we got trapped behind the black dog as well on the way back. So that little black fluffy dog mm. caused a couple of interesting uh, scenarios there, but but you said before that Jacko, Jacko Cachola made a move and when we saw you guys um, at, you know, close to 4K um, and even I think when I saw you guys at the 1.5K mark, he just had, and the photos that I've seen coming through 2K and 3K, it looks like he's just got three metres on you. Like it looks like you're well within touching distance but you're not quite hanging on to his shoulder. So my question is when you're going through 3.5K, are you were you at full pelt then? Are you thinking right? The only way that I'm going to beat him is if he tires. I don't have another gear to kick over the top of him. Yeah, I think once we hit once we got into that third k from about halfway onwards, I couldn't have run much faster. I knew I had a, yeah. one kick in me. That was about it, and I was kind of saving it for the last probably minute. Um, yeah. But that was just me hanging on at that point. I think we we're running like three or fours, three or fives, which you know I don't do that much at that kind of pace in training. So that was me pretty much running as hard as I could and just trying to hang on as long as I can. And my plan at that point was I just hang on to his back for as long as possible. Like I, There wasn't really any point. I reckon with about 800 to go, that's when I started to think, oh, maybe I could go with him and it could be a close finish and I, you know, maybe I could get him. But that whole first probably three and a half, four K, I wasn't really thinking about trying to beat him. It was just going, I just need to sit on his back because we're going to run a really quick time if I can hang on here. And I messaged yeah. him afterwards and said I felt bad for him doing all the work, but... I couldn't have I couldn't have jumped in front to do any of it. I was just hanging on to him. So that was that was good for him to kind of pull me to a fast time. But no, I, I don't. There was no point where I kind of felt like I was going to beat him. It was just me going as hard as I could for basically as long yeah. as I could. It um, I mean, it's a wonderful run from Jacko, wasn't it? Because he like as I said, we effectively saw him in front pretty much every photo and every single point. Was was he first around the the cone at you know the top end at the north end? Yeah, so he was just that he kind of just just got in front of his dad as we were on the boardwalk, and he made sure he turned around that corner first. So he was yep. first first to turn. Yep. Oh man, he is a an incredible talent and um, an amazing future ahead for for Jacko to be running fifteen twenty five at that age. I think he's sixteen. is is amazing. Anthony Ferrugia was ninth, and Andrew Pierce was tenth uh, uh, PB for Andrew seventeen oh seven. It was interesting. Anthony Ferrugia flew past us. We it was obviously your lead group and. A sort of a smaller group form behind, and Anthony Ferrugia flew past us at about 500 metres. It looked like he'd missed the start, to be honest. And then um, so I, I didn't know whether he was going to jump on the back, and I, I don't think he did in the end. I think he sort of 
he ran a bit with the people behind him and ended up getting Andrew Pierce home to a PB. But yeah, there was just little battles happening all over the place. It was it was outstanding. Um, I didn't check my watch until you know four four and a half k, which is very very unlike me in a in a in a park run. I normally check my watch a bit earlier than that, but. Just great to see so many um, battles happening all the way through into the 18s, 19s, 20s. We had people who broke 20 minutes for the first time. Um, some people we, that we know, Matty Brown, went under 20 minutes for the first time. So that's a monumental achievement when that actually happens and that gives you a chance to obviously reassess your own you know, personal goals. Some people often think, well, as soon as I break 20, that's it. I'll be happy. But then you break 20 and you're like, oh, maybe maybe I'll give 40 a nudge in the 10K now. So it, it fills people with a lot of confidence um, certainly going into marathon time. Just in the female event, um, looked like I went through the results and Mary Fitzsimmons um, in 1939 and Ricky Duff 1939. I don't know if that was a dead heat. I didn't see any photos through from that. And then Jasmine Randall 2009. So to get a couple of girls under the 20-minute mark as well at Paradise Point is outstanding. But, um, Kyle, I'm interested to know, I mean, in, in that top 10 there, we've got... It's mostly a group of, of, of young fellas. And then we've got a couple of Masters athletes thrown in there, haven't we? Like, this is what excites me about running is that when I don't know Michael Cachola's actual age, um, I'm not too sure, Mike, how old exactly you are, but I'd hazard a guess. But, you know, I know Andrew Pierce is in his 40s, um, as he's close to that mark himself. Um, and obviously, Anthony Frugio, I think he told me afterwards, is 47. So you're looking at, you know, four runners there who are still in absolute peak condition aren't they and and when masters athletes are in and around the bunch and they're keeping the young guys honest it it's exciting and, and i said to adzi I, I saw him on saturday in the rank forest and i said man you must have had fun and he goes yeah it was just it was good and i think that's what's that's what's great when you get age gaps of 15 years between you know or even further i mean from jacko right through to anthony Ferugia. what's that 21 years that's that's how that must fill you with a great deal of excitement that you know, it is a long sport. You can you can train effectively. And I know, you know, I don't know too much about Michael's training and Anthony's training, but I know Adzi, his his philosophy to training is, you know, quality work, low volume, doing a lot of strength work, um, running easy on the easy. Um, you know, obviously with his triathlon background, he does a lot of cycling and things still. So it's great to see different training approaches and different styles and different, you know, banks of knowledge coming together. And um, I mean, the battle between Adzi and Troy was was quite a good one. I saw the video of the finish line. I saw Adzi have a quick glance over the shoulders to make sure Troy didn't didn't get him on the finish line. So, yeah, what's what's it like running with you know people that you've I guess you've looked up to in the past as well, haven't you? And probably still look up to now in terms of their knowledge and their longevity. Oh, absolutely! Like you know, I'm always trying to pick people's brains and things. But you know, I've run with Adzi for years, and a lot of those other guys and. It's it's awesome. Like, you know, if you told me five or six years ago that I was going to be running times like this and, you know, running against guys like this, I would have said, you know, no way. I was telling the guys afterwards, I can still remember the day that I broke 20 minutes for the first time and how excited I was. It felt like, you know, I was about to go to the Olympics because I just ran in the 19s, you know. Yeah. That was just the biggest thing ever and that wasn't that long ago. So then to look at, like, the names that you're running with now, is it was awesome. And like you said, it gives me confidence going that, you know, I've still got plenty of good years ahead of me when there's guys that are, you know, you know, got 15 years on me, still running just as quick as me. So it's exciting. It definitely fills yeah. me with a lot of excitement. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I, I, I don't want to stop talking parkrun here. I just want to go around the grounds a little bit here because some amazing things have happened in the last fortnight as well. I want to, We don't jump up to Brisbane very often, but in Brisbane, this is another level again, isn't it? This is like the level which you guys are at incredibly fast and at the top end of sort of amateur running, but 
We then go to another level, Kieran Perkins, um, who I think is Burt Squad. Is that right? Yep. Is he Burt Squad? Yep, I think he's Burt Squad. Um, I don't know if he's Gold Coast Run Co as well or whether he's just Burt Squad. I know he's I think he's just, you know, just, just Brisbane. Yeah. Just Burt he, um, he got his course record back at Kedron Park Run. He ran 14.21 to claim his uh, Park Run course record back. And I don't think it was broken that long ago, actually, because th- his comment on Strava was, you know, I-, I needed to get this back. So well done, Kieran. 14.21, that's, you know, to be, what, that's a minute and eight seconds. At the pace that you guys are running, that's 350 metres roughly. That's yeah, a fair way, isn't it? It's, it's almost incredible. a lap of the track. It's pretty um, much a lap of the track. It's it's awesome to see. Like, yeah. you know, it puts you in your place. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, now, some other interesting ones around the grounds as well. Um, Jasmine Randall at Coomera. She has won three out of the last four. Um, and also, as I said before, came third at the Paradise Point one that um, everyone jumped in a week and a half ago. So she's got a good little bank of results happening up at Coomera. Um, Georgia Grimesy down at Mudgerabar, uh, first overall, first overall win. So she won the whole thing, nineteen twelve. Wow. But an interesting name, Kyle, came in at third place. Michael Shelley, Park Run, wow. Mudgerabar, third place. He's back. Same time. Back. Yep. Same time as someone who came second. So I'm wondering whether he paced uh, a friend oh, of his over the line, but. Imagine that for a scout for Georgia. You've 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 taken not, out Michael Shelley. Not bad. Commonwealth <laughs> Games gold medalist taken yeah. out. I like it. I like it. Um, That's good. And Andrew Pierce, uh, the week after, just sorry, a couple of days ago, um, one down at Kira seventeen twenty. So he's a couple of good results in a row there. Um, and so yeah, so there's plenty happening around Parkrun. But as I said, Kieran Perkins's time of fourteen twenty one is is phenomenal. So I think we saw, didn't we, the the beauty of when. I guess training groups or clubs come together and have a bit of a chat and 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 do this. There's great banter that surrounds all these things. And um, as we said a week, a couple of fortnight, a fortnight ago, the banter sort of leads to great performances and things like that. And I think that's what this was designed to do: was to try and get people running as fast as they possibly could. And I think everyone enjoyed it. And it's something. Hopefully, if we can put it on once a year, as I said, I know when they used to do it in Sandgate, when um, when the Burt Squad and in training and the Nancy Squad from uh, the Western Suburbs, when they all came together, it was extraordinary. So maybe I don't know if Paradise Point can be our, you know, mini World Championships on the Gold Coast every single year. Club versus clubs, work out some sort of point system would be great. But Kyle, we do have to move around. We we would love to talk about that park run, um, you know, for a special episode. But we do need to move on because plenty has been happening including, um, where should we go to next? Brisbane Trail Marathon. Not to be confused yeah. with Brisbane Trail Ultra, but the Brisbane Trail Marathon. Marathon distance, 42 uh, kilometres, 2,000 metres of vertical climbing. Um, was only held, yes, yes, yesterday, the Sunday. Um, so I've got a couple of results here. I'll just go through them very quickly. Um, in the females, we had Carol Robertson, 14.50, took out the win. Jess Schluter is well-known, 14.53, and Valerie Fox, 15.13. In the males race, um, had a good chat to Brad Aird about the day. Um, he gave me a little bit of an insight into how it went. Uh, he said the climbing was just extraordinary out there. I mean, 2,000 metres over just over 40K, it's 50 metres a kilometre. That's that's tough in anyone's books. That's that's tougher than most things we have, certainly in Queensland. So Matt Simpson, 4.14, uh, Matt Cooper, 4.11, and getting prepared for UTA 100, Nolas Rayhart. Uh, 4.09 and apparently caught the leader, Matt Cooper, only in the last couple of kilometres. I know Noel has put on his Strava that it turned a long run turned into a fast finish. So I think he had a sniff. Um, had they been further ahead, he probably wouldn't have gone for him, but I think he had a sniff and 
you know, those guys are again at the top end. They, they, they don't want to finish second. It doesn't matter if you're only 13 days from the major race of the year. If you can get a win, you get a win. Um, then in the half marathon, uh, we had the females, Claire Game, 244, Lucy Theodore, 234, Jane Hoskin, 225. And Jane Hoskin, 225, actually won the whole thing. Uh, so a couple Very of girls taking, taking out the events, not only in park run, but in trail running. Also in the males, uh, Mike Fendo, 228. Um, Stan Karanosius, 227.28 seconds. And Mike Lupka, 227.20. So I think maybe not a sprint finish, but a fast finish. A finish with a look over the shoulder there from Michael. Um, so I've done that marathon a couple of years ago, Kyle. It's a, it's a great marathon, but... Yeah, it doesn't look much. I tell you what, it doesn't look much on the graph, the elevation graph, but, you know, it, I remember it just being very hilly, very hilly, very tough, very brutal. And one of those kind Absolutely. of low-key um, trail events that doesn't have a lot of fanfare around it, but you get the diehards there year in, year out. I think Brisbane Trail Runners kind of organise it or set it up or do the, um, you know, the aid stations and things like that. But also, Kyle, happening at the same time was um, Brisbane Road Runners. Now, they hang out at sort of West End, they had. Yes. They've got some great. I've I've been to these many many times. They have five k's. They have ten k's. Um, so if you ever want kind of a mini race scenario, varying distances, fifteens and twenties and twenty ones, um, get up to West End. They're very welcoming up there. The Brisbane Road Runners, and you often get quite a good little competition, a loop course. So it's a five k loop, and they just obviously do the amount of loops that you need. But they had the their half marathon championships and quick times, Kyle. Quick times. You got it there. There was. It was, and quite close racing as well. Yeah, um, really close. It was It's good to see as well. So Kerry Hodge took out the females. She had a three-minute victory. So she ran 126.23, and, you know, knowing her marathon PB, she's, I'd say, done that reasonably comfortably. I don't say that because I don't know what a training's been like. Um, but she took out the win there, which is awesome. But then, again, I, I, she's probably one that you'd be you'd be game to back against up in Brisbane as far as the female <laughs> yeah. marathon runners. I think she's, she's very hard to beat, so she did amazing. But... It was much closer in the males race. So if you look at the times, first to sixth, there was only a minute and two seconds between first and sixth place. Um, familiar name to the podcast, Andrew Day, who has just come off whitewashing the Southeast Queensland trail running series. He took third in one fourteen fifty five, only one second ahead of Derek Lee. Now, I would say, looking at the photos, I know those two guys, they all know each other, those guys. I don't think that would have what, may have been a sprint finish, but I don't think it would have been. Um, but they were within a second of each other. And then Robert Godino ran one fourteen twenty to take out the win. So good solid times for, you know, a loop along the river, not on a closed course or anything, just on a Sunday morning. So it's good to see some more road running. Everyone's kind of building to bigger races. Brisbane Marathon's coming up in a few weeks as well. Then obviously Gold Coast Marathon. So everyone's everyone's building nicely on the roads. Looking at the splits for the laps, they they seem to go through in a bit of a group. Um, so it would have been a great great um, a great race to witness. Also happening at the same time, Kyle. Now I'm just trying to search this as we talk because is yes. Dead Cow Gully? They were down to two. Is it finished? No. Well, I'm still seeing it as the two left. I don't know if you've got any update on that, but it was down to John Pearson and Ryan Crawford. So, again, names that people will be familiar with. So unless something's happened on this last lap that's just finished or just about to start, the thing that I was finding interesting, so they've just they've done 32 laps is what I've got here. So I don't know if we've still that's right or up to date. But I've had a yep. look at the average lap time between John and Ryan. John's yep. average lap time, <laughs> 52 minutes and 55 seconds. Ryan's average lap time, 35.31 
which is just Far insane out. to look at it. So to put that into, I suppose, to- terms that you'll understand, Ryan has only run 18 hours and 56 minutes total. John has run 28 hours and 13 minutes total. Just Isn't to- that extraordinary? He's run 10 more hours than Ryan, but Ryan's been running a lot quicker. So as we know, we've talked about this with these races before. There's more than one way to run this race, and you're seeing the exact two opposite ways to run it, battling it out at the moment. So we will be interested. I don't know whether it's still going, whether they've just finished, but it's going to be interesting to see which which way prevails, whether Ryan keeps up these fast laps or whether John just keeps going and going. But exciting. Absolutely amazing, isn't it? It's amazing to see that. Um so, yeah, I mean, we had a bit of a dabble, didn't we, last year at um, the last one standing in the heat and great to watch, amazing to watch. Uh, they've got a uh, world championship again later in the year, I think, with the teams. But So, Kyle, that's roughly what's been happening, isn't it, around the um, around good, the Another good fortnight. Another good fortnight for southeast Queensland running. Obviously, a lot is building up to Gold Coast Marathon. We've got um, the GC30 coming up in a couple of weeks uh, Brisbane Marathon, I think, is early June as well. So there's a fair bit happening. But as we said, um, I'm excited to chat to Kerry. We're, we're going to jump over to that right now. We're going to record with him um, all the way from New Zealand. We've set this up. It's um, well, it's just pretty just past dinner time over there. We're going to chat to him in a few minutes and and pick his brain and find out about him. Kyle, you know a lot about Kerry and he's quite a character. Before we get him on air, is there, is there any any stories that you know about him? How did you meet him, oh. first of all? So I, well, that's a funny story, actually, our first ever interaction. So it was back in 2014. This was pre-squad run days before that started. And I knew that he did a little bit of coaching. So Ben Malby, who people probably know on the Gold Coast, um, he he had he knew him just from a previous Tarawera. And I had done a couple of my first kind of ultras that, that 2014 year. And I'd gone, okay, I'm, you know, I was on a high. I had no idea what I was doing back then. I was just entering every race that I could enter. And the plan was we were all going over to Tarawera. And I thought, yep, I'm going to do the 100K. I've done these other hundreds and I wasn't doing much training back then. And that's how that connection was made through Ben. And I I messaged Kerry saying, you know, I'm I'm going to do this. I was only 19 at the time still, I think, about 19. And I messaged him, I'm going to do this. Would you be interested in coaching me for it? And I think his response to me was something along the lines of, I'll help you train for a Tarawera, but I won't help you kill yourself. How about we just do the 60 first? <laughs> I think that was the first thing he ever said to me. So then straight away I was like, well, okay, I'll do the 60. And then I had a great run in the 60 and we went from there. And then, you know, he's he coached me for a few years, those first few years where I was kind of building through my ultras. And then he's kind of been a bit of a mentor for me kind of right through. Obviously, I coach for squad run now. So yeah. I'm in contact with Kerry regarding those things as well. Um, but yeah, he's a character. He's been, you know, I'm sure he'll tell you all about everything he's done and everything because he's, he's really experienced. He knows about absolutely everything that comes to running. He's probably the most knowledgeable person I know when it comes to just every little part of running, not only from coaching, but just everything to do with running. So it's going to be good to have a chat with him because people will get a lot out of it. But yeah, now, it's, it's going to be good. When, you, when you're talking Tarawera there, is that, are, that, are we talking the days when you used to wear the white Killian Jornet sort of outfits, white socks, white was, shorts, white shirts, white head buff? No, that was, look, that was that was definitely 2014 days. We'll have to crack that photo out at some point. No, that was Kokoda 2014. And given how much crap I've got from everyone from that, I will definitely be bringing it out again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but he, um, the first time that I heard Kerry was 2017 when I went down there and just, you know, did a bit of filming and crewed for a couple of mates of mine. And I remember hearing you pop up. You must have done the 50 that year. Is that right? 2017, did you do the 50? I'd, I'd probably, I've only done the 50 down there. So yeah. I'd say it was. 
I remember I must have been at the, the finish line when you came up and he, he called you junior goat or baby goat as you crossed the line. Or maybe it was the day before when we were watching the 22, I can't remember, but he referred to you as baby goat or junior goat. So, um, yeah, he's, I think he's got a nickname <laughs> yes. for everyone. So we're going to ask him lots. Um, for everyone who's listening who's going to UTA, when you cross the finish line, just make sure you have a, a little chat, a two-second chat to Kerry because he uh, he's great. You'll, you'll recognise his voice when you hear him. Um, his, his voice will get you underway in those early hours and he'll be there at the very end. I saw a great photo the other day of him actually. Um, it must have been taken after, you know, in the wee hours of the of the morning when the when the final finishes are coming through. The microphone is on the table and his head's down on the table and he just looks fast asleep. I don't know if he leaves. That's what I want to know. I don't know if he leaves the finish. I don't think he leaves the finish area. That's a big ask. Um, you know, from the time the 50K is maybe – from the start line to the first time the 50K has come through, you're only talking four and a bit hours, so he doesn't get much of a respite. Maybe he has a bit of breakfast then and then comes back and starts commentating, but he's there for the 22, he's there for the 951 up the stairs, he's there for the 11K and he's there for the hundreds and he's there for the very final hundreds who come across as well. So, yep, we'll uh, we'll jump over to that now and um, we'll be, I uh, hope you enjoy this chat with Kerry Suter from UTA and Squad Run. All right, Kerry. Well, since a whole ton of us are going to UTA, we thought, why not chat about UTA and who better to get on the show than uh, than the Bruce McAvaney? I don't know. Do you know who Bruce McAvaney is? Do you know who, do you know who he is? <laughs> the guy who commentates, you know, the Olympics for Channel 7 in Australia. And the oh, Arctic okay. Football. He's the I voice. I was getting confused with a Stephen Bradbury guy, and I'm like, please don't <laughs> call me that. Like, don't, don't Bradbury me. Everyone who's grown up in Australia knows Bruce McAvaney is just like the voice of Australian, you know, Olympic sport and whatever. And... Everyone who goes to UTA, who's watched UTA videos, it's you're the voice. You are you've become synonymous with that race and the the, the videos that go out there and you know the start line, the finish line. So we thought, who better to pick the brain, you know, two weeks out than the great Kerry Suter? Yeah, yeah uh, I don't know how that came about. I think one morning Tom and Alina were doing the the start waves and they were starting the event, and they like. they're not used to being in the spotlight. It's their event and they know more about it than anyone else. And I was kind of standing next to them. I'm like, maybe I'll just take that and I'll just tee the crowd (laughs) up for a bit. And Tom was having such a laugh with it that he was like, he was happy to sort of sink away and and not be the guy in the the front. And um, it's not easy. I actually really suffer from like major, like, you know, I'm starting to lose sleep about it already. Um, There's seven and a half thousand people there and um, there's a lot to think about and bring into the, to the, to the event to make it what it is. But I already get the little shove from Iron Man that like, you know, you're the voice of UTA and, you know, you're the voice of, of trail running and, and, you know, they're looking to do some really big things in the global arena. And I don't know what that means for me. And, it just builds more anxiety. <laughs> it is. Well, that's like you said. I I think we all think about it, but everyone expects to have their finish line moment too. Every single one of those competitors will cross that line going, at that, at that moment, that's everything for them. And I suppose that's the pressure for you to go, I have to give every single one of these people some kind of moment because they'll remember that forever. But then what they don't realise is, is five seconds later, you've got to do the exact same thing for the next person behind them. So I'm literally reading out seven and a half thousand names over the course of four days. So that's actually a thing. But it's a good point because, um, and it's something that we've got a commentary team and uh, and I was asking for the distribution list today so that I can contact with that commentary team and just make sure that they really are aware that that is the most important theme that we have at Ultra Trail Australia is that everyone that follows, finishes 
you know, their, their event is considered, you know, like a champion. They've overcome something, you know, really quite significant and they're made to feel genuinely special, no less special than the person that wins it. Um, and, and, you know, no less special than the, the person who's, who's right at the end. Everyone should have a, a really genuinely cool moment on the finish line, no matter what the time is and what time of the day is. And, and when we have a team of, of two in that, in that commentary situation, Someone could be talking about, you know, the funny stories from the trails or what's happening out there or that sort of thing. But the other person is always tasked with the job of making sure that everyone counts. And if we flip that role around in our commentary team, that that, that regardless, everyone that crossed that line will get the moment as best as we can do it. Yeah. And I think like we've all looked back and watched the, the live streams of everything. And it's pretty impressive how seamlessly that seems to work with you guys. But I think people would be interested, like, how does that, like, is there only the two of you that will then go through that whole time? Like, how many of you will rotate and how long are you there for? Yeah, that's a good question. We've got a, probably about four or five of us this year. Um, and the team does vary a little bit um, depending upon, you know, Ironman, how they want they want the event to go. If they're not happy with how a, a, one of our commentary team is performing, they're just not back next year. So, you know, like I, my unimportant life dangles in a thread there. But um, I, I'm really there primarily because you know we have so many athletes there there's um probably around about 300 squadron athletes that are going to be racing so i mean it's a it's a fair wedge of the field and, and a lot of them are you know friends close friends and I, I was always going to be there to see them finish that's my job as a coach um and and so you know if i've if i've got to pull those hours to see them finish anyway you might as well just pass me a microphone and i'll cheer everybody in and you know treat them like wonderful human beings they deserve it well, let's um let's go back to where where does your running story start then? First of all, Kerry, uh, I probably 15, 15, 15 years ago. I was a, I was a, like a I think a, a slightly portly twenty uh, nine year old IT worker, and um, I noticed that I was struggling to get the belt around where it used to go, and um, I didn't want to buy more expensive pants, and um, then I just thought I'd I'd better try and skim some calories, so. Uh, I decided to do, to do a little bit of a jog. I managed two Ks and I was bat- battered. And then I managed to do it a f- after the DOMS disappeared. I knew nothing about DOMS. I was able to do it again. And I was like, I noticed that I could do it more frequently and be in pain for less days. And then I, th- I figured I must be getting better at it. And so I just sort of ran two Ks a day for a while, then five Ks a day. And I sort of got up through to like 900 days. In the end of it, I was sort of averaging... 160 to 200 K weeks. And I was just sort of like enjoying my running, but like it was structured training too. You know, it wasn't just like shambling around the place. I joined a local running club. I started winning stuff. Um, and I don't think I had any great propensity to, to like, you know, genetic gift or uh, ability. I just, you had good teachers around me guiding me in the right direction. And I was patient. Um, and I built the volume safely. I didn't suffer injury. Um, and you know, I executed, executed good races. I always brought a lot of intellect to my running and racing and therefore would, I would unpack an event really well and, and make very few mistakes. And I'd always finish, I'd always stand on the finish line going, given the amount of fitness that I had, that was as good as I could run that day, whether that was a course record or fifth place, that's fine. But, um, I, I picked up a few, you know, I guess more important things. They didn't seem important at the time. I won Tarawera twice. I have a handful of course records around the place. Um, and I don't know, Kyle can probably tell you all of my um, PBs because he's systematically taking them down one at a time. What have I got left, Kyle? I still think you've got most of them left. I'm close. I'm getting close. I'm very close to one of them. Your 5K is in trouble. Ugh. 
I, I have I have to say fifteen twenty four and I was I was in a hundred mile week oh. and I was just mucking around at a local oh. pub run one afternoon and and there's I, I don't know what I don't need excuses but there's a lot of vert in it I never really tried for a five k time I should have run under fifteen on a track but I just never. I never made it a focus, never did it. So you'll get that one. I know you're capable. Does Kerry know what you did last weekend, Kyle, or not? Yes. Yeah, I, yeah he was probably the first person that I sent that to. But right, I'll, okay. I'll up that and go. I had three three U-turns in my course, three 180-degree stop and turn. That's got to be counted for... See? I had two. Well, I had, two. I, I had one extra. There we go. That, that's yeah, what it Who were those five seconds? Listen, it was probably we, hotter where you were too. Before we go into UTI and we start to discuss the course and everything, Kyle, where does Kerry's story come into the goat loop? Because, Kerry, this is how I first saw your name ever was when I first did the goat loop. And I was like, who is this guy, Kyle? So where does he where does he fit in the goat loop? Because, Kerry, last year when we didn't have any races going on, we focused for like six months of the year on goat loop stories and goat loop moments, and the thing exploded out of control. So, Kyle, where does Kerry fit into this? So, well, it all probably starts. So initially, who Ben, mutual friend of ours, Ben Malby, we've spoken about him on this before. He'd gone out and had run the loop all the time. And I think he'd run 30.01. And for ages, that was the time. And, it, you know, he kept challenging everyone, telling us all to do it. And no one was beating his time. <clears throat> and then I remember Kerry was over. And it would have been the first or second day you were here. And I think you just went out. The first, like, I think you'd gone out to see where the loop was first. And then it would have been mid one afternoon, went out and ran 2840-something. And I can remember that afternoon just all the message groups and Strava just exploded with. <laughs> and then forever, like we said, I've said last year, you had the first ever sub-30 goat loop. So yeah. Oh, yeah, ever, yeah, cool. ever have wow, the first one. That's people always. I hope people remember the first, right? The first guy to land on the moon, the first guy to run the hundred miler at the local, you know, five k loop or laps run, or those sorts of things. But I'm, it's, I'm glad that capable athletes have shown up and destroyed that that shamble that I did down there. I remember running along um, that the boundary of Narang, and there's like you're just going past some pretty ordinary houses and there's like dogs going at the fence and i'm like really am i running down a storm drain like i can why did ben choose this loop of all things it's a um, horrible loop we've always said it he, it's probably the worst loop in narang that he could have picked and he wanted that loop he wanted that yeah. little bit of trail in there i don't know why we'll have to ask him but well, oh it's, well, it's Kerry, got some good stories out of it Kerry, a guy called justin enright was the first guy to run 100 kilometers on the goat loop and of course, to no. do so, he did that. He went past Ben's ten. So, so Justin did what was it? Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, whatever it was. 15, so he got 15, to he got to name. Yeah, he got to name the eleventh to fifteenth loops. And one of the names he gave was based on those dogs at the fence. And he called it "Fix Your Fence" because every time he went past those same dogs, <laughs> those same dogs that were there when you were barking, were snarling through the fence. And so Justin called it. Fix your fence. So it, nothing's changed, mate. It's got a bit, oh, a bit, a bit faster and a bit rockier. And um, so yeah. So uh, look, all we need is Ben here now, and we'd have we'd have the first we'd have the first four, wouldn't we? Because Kerry, you were number one to go under. So Kyle, hmm. were you two, or was Benny Deneen two? Uh, no, I think I was before Ben. Then I yeah, think then I, yeah. Benny was, I think it was the Benny two of us, and then Benny went under. Yeah, and then who? 
And then well, it was me. Rugby's never gone under, so we'll no. always hold that. And then it was you. So yeah, there you go. I was. I, I knocked Benny off third for a bit, and now carry on back in like twelfth or thirteenth or something. It's just been destroyed. And <laughs> uh, I don't yeah. want to look at it. It's probably going to be really embarrassing, isn't it? Um, but you know, like I guess you, it's got to that like respect the classics thing about it. You know, the, yeah. the nineteen sixty five Mark One Cortina won't be the fastest of the Cortinas, <laughs> but you know, there's something about it being that old car. And maybe Ben Malby and I, and maybe the four of us can sit around a fire in the rang and you know poke it with sticks and with long beards and young men would show up to run this loop and we, we can say yes the goat loop we've heard of the goat loop um, <laughs> i look forward to that day i can Absolutely. see that happening too but no. it's right. good that you've got a, a blue ribbon segment though honestly i think in all areas there are a few blue ribbon segments that i think all local runners you know they covet or you know like it's the thing to get it's the crown to have um and uh, and and that that's definitely that's definitely one for what for whatever it is. What is it like six and a bit k's or something? Yeah, yep. just under seven k's. And I suppose the thing now is we've got a couple of well, going to be a couple of Olympians at the top of the table. So it's a, it's a fairly well credentialed leaderboard now at the at the pointy end. So it's I don't know there'll be many that are touching it. And we actually had this conversation, oh, what have been a couple of months ago, where Tom put it to me and said. Who would you ultimately, if anyone in the world could come and run the goat loop, who would you want to see? And the names we came to in the trail running were something like Wamsley versus uh, Hayden Hawks versus Zach Miller versus Killian on the goat loop. It was something like that. And we put the we put the question and said, do we think that the record would get broken? And I don't know if it would. It's that nope. quick at the moment. I'm like, I don't think nope. it would. And that just goes to show how quick the record is. I'm like, how cool is yeah. that that we've got a – I don't know anyone that could run quicker, which is cool. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right, Kyle. Let's let's get we'll us see. into UTA, Kyle. Kick us off. Okay. Yes, we've got, we've yes we've gone very well off track there as well. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the other thing we wanted to kind of ask you questions is we've got a few people from the coast that'll be heading down. That a few that are first timers with with UTA, a few that have done it you know multiple times as well. In general, do you have any few key pieces of advice that you generally will give people either if it's their first time at UTA? I know obviously we're only two weeks out; they can't change or do much now. But leading into race day, things that they can, you know, think about or work on or be prepared for. Yeah, there's not a lot of training interventions that are going to have um, any sort of meaningful adaptation now. So it's really about preparation. You know, any training now is going to detract from your freshness and fitness on race day. So um, you, you would be looking about, um, you know, the, the mindfulness um, and, and execution. Um, there are still some um, interventions you can put in place from, from in regards to, you know, goal setting, um, establishing a good mantra um, and, and looking for, uh, you know, really be that relentlessly positive um, uh, that who was it? Sam Samuel Macora has got the, all of that all of that research where they um, had cyclists in front of a white wall and uh, they showed that in a time to exhaustion trial they performed better if you very quickly flashed up you know positive images of people smiling and those sorts of things and of course the cyclists didn't know they it was flashed so quickly that they weren't able to absorb it so any of that sort of you know positive uh, approach and mindset those should be the things that you're putting in the toolbox now because you're going to you know unpack those on race day and they they definitely will you know measurable they will help you um, but in terms of, of execution uh, on, on race day it's obviously you you know you want to spend 100% of yourself over the 100% of the distance and, and you want to arrive at sort of 50% of the course 50% wrecked you know every world record is set either with a negative split or an even split there's never a, a world record that's set in the world other than maybe the 800 meters which has got a positive split 
Um, uh, so with, with UTA, uh, if we look at, you know, the, let's say the, the premier distances, the, the 50 and 100K, um, you know, that's what a lot of people are traveling for. All of the running of that race is in the back end. So, um, and all of the work is in the section really uh, along the cliff edge there. So um, in the 100K, the third quarter is the danger zone. That's the hard section with all of the ups and downs, the stairs, the broken terrain, um, you know, the, a lot of off-camber running. You're not in your, you know, your stride. Your, your rhythm's not good. In the 50K, that's the first half of the 50K is, is quite broken. If you can get to Wentworth Falls with legs capable of running you well for the next 24Ks, if you've protected yourself, you will have a great uh, 50k or or even close out the last quarter of your 100k really well um, and it, I think the key message for those long distance runners are you know deliver yourself Wentworth Falls um, you've got a um, a short climb up into Little Switzerland and Horden and Tablelands um, and then uh, sensible running down Kadumba. I know it's eight k's of downhill, but you know a good high cadence. Uh, careful with the eccentric unloading, not overstriding. You know, finding that sweet spot in gravity where you're going to descend without without trying to break too hard. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, not leaning back. Um, uh, once you get to Jamison Creek, there's a couple of climbs out of there, but, um, you know, the poles might come out for a lot of runners. Even some of the top runners will use poles. We've seen race winners there use poles in the 100K, so um, it's not something that's outrageous, outrageously inappropriate for any athlete, and probably, you know, the back half of that 100K should be on poles, and probably the back third of the 50K should be on, on poles if they're capable of using them. Um, they really will come into play in that little block out of Jamison Creek up to Helipad, uh, water treatment plant there's a really tough double out of lura creek um and then once you're uh, you know federal and ferber it's all just going to unfold there's really not a lot of minutes to be gained or lost there um i did do the maths on your ferber climb i can't remember i think it's something like two thirds of your 5k time if you pin it um a little bit a little bit worse if you for most athletes but um you know ferber is a pup and a lot of people will, will worry about it more than they need to it, it, for most athletes it's all done and dusted in sort of 12 to 15 minutes but um really it's that move efficiently in that last quarter of the 100k or the last half of the 50k um, protect yourself on those stairs and that's the key to executing a good uta yeah, I, I Kerry, it's, it's funny you mentioned when I've talked to people about the Ferber Steps, I've done the 100 once two years back, I'm going again this year, and they've asked about the Ferber Steps. I've said to them, don't even worry about it. Nothing's going to stop you from getting up those stairs. You're you're a kilometre from home. It's the shortest way to get to the finish line is to is to get up there. So get up there. It's Everything's done. You know, you, you, you get halfway up those stairs and you see the lights and you hear your voice and you hear the music and it's... And then you get further up and then you start to see the boardwalk or you start to see family members who've come slightly down the stairs to cheer people on, whether that'll be here this year, I don't know. But, you know, it's almost, it's the glory, it's the wonderful part of the race, those, the, that last kilometre. Yeah, it takes a bit, it takes a bit of effort, but nothing's going to stop you getting up those stairs. And <clears throat> I do remember from that 50K through to um, the Queen Vic uh, checkpoint, that section, that, yeah, that halfway to three-quarter section of the race being the toughest last time um only in terms of energy as as well as in terms of being able just to run the sections i remember there being lots of stairs i remember there being lots of uneven steps and things like that so um it's funny you mentioned that point because that was the that's the part that i've targeted this year to try and improve hmm. it's yeah through from i guess yeah 57 checkpoints through to um through the queen vic 
And yeah, uh, the other state's really, really bad there, isn't it? For most athletes yeah. going to a hundred, you know, in a hundred k, that sixty k, seventy k, you are vulnerable there, um, mentally, physically fatigued. You realise the finish line's not in sight, so um, you know there's that. It's a compounded issue in that hundred k. Yeah, I was just going to say it'd be interesting how you'd race the hundred if the loops were reversed. If you got that out of the way in the first section, ran Kadumba, and then had to run that second half in the back half. It'd be like tactically, it'd be really interesting to race that back half of the hundred first, given how much varied terrain there is, and then how much running there is in that football, the actual first half of the hundred. Yeah, it'd be an interesting way. It'd be hard to it'd be hard to race it because at least when it's in the back half, you get to like you said, sixty or seventy k's. It's definitely where you don't want that kind of terrain, but you're hurting anyway. You just get through that section. Whereas if you had to do that in the first twenty k of your hundred k, that would mentally not be great. I would not. I would much prefer to do that later in the race than, than <laughs> earlier in the race, for sure. The other thing I was going to mention now, I'm sure you, I know you saw this post today, Kerry, in the Squadron Australia group from Rob about, and I kind of got a bit scared looking at that because I did not realise how many stairs I was going to be doing in the 22 at all, considering my stair training has consisted of up and down the gutter running my road loops in the last mm-hmm. few weeks. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to mention how many stairs. What is this? I haven't seen it. I can mention... Well, I'm going to tell you the 100, Tom, because I don't care when he's yeah. in 100 because I don't have to do it. You have to go up 5,740 stairs and down yeah. 5,360. So it's the, it's the down that scares me oh. more than the up. It's running downstairs, <laughs> and that's, yes. that's what I said to everyone. No one, the first time you do UTA, no one tells you about the downstairs. Everyone tells you about the up, and it it's catches you off guard massively. Yep, that's the messaging to a lot of the athletes is that if you are doing stair reps, um, include some some descents because not only will it, are you training in an eccentric, you know, you know, downhill, you're also got to work on the proprioception and balance and understanding how you can move efficiently down a set of stairs. If you have to pull up the brakes every time you get to a couple of steps down and then awkwardly clamber your way down, no amount of quality running on the flat or climbing is going to make up for what you're losing on those those yeah. little bits. So. The downs are the danger zone, and you'll see in that 22K race just how difficult that's going to be for the 2,000-odd athletes that are going to be there dealing with it. So what have we got, yeah, Kyle? No. What's the numbers for the 50 and the, and the 22? What are they so, getting? well, the 50's got 4,620 up and 4,190 down. So that kind of just reflects what we spoke about, about how many stairs are in the back half of that 100 course that the 50K runs. And then the 22's got 2,580 up. Where where are these stairs? I feel like I've looked at the course. Where are they finding two and a, nearly two and a half thousand stairs? I'm trying to work it out. Well, Lura Cascades is about thirteen hundred stairs on its own. Okay. So just okay. that ascent is you know half of it. Um, you know, as in you know, by the time you get to the top of Lura Cascades, people often underestimate how how big a climb you've got out there. But you know, there's a hell of a lot of stairs along um, you know Prince Henry, Henry and um, and areas around Bridal Vale. It's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, it's and we'll get into the race in a, in in a bit. But no, it's it's going to be an interesting with the new course. I think what was the obviously you know you're speaking with a lot of athletes that are doing these races. What was the the major consensus and the feedback you were getting about the 22k course, given the change from what the course was and normally has been to what it is now? Did that change um, your your messaging to anyone that was doing the 22? As far as did you have to change things as far as the training? 
as a coach, yes, significantly. Mm. Um, it's it's interesting watching it unfold, obviously, in the community because, uh, you know, the wider community, the Ultra Trail Australia community as well, because there's obviously a lot of pushback with people unhappy that they're not doing the classic 22K course. That's the course that you were preparing yourself for, Kyle, and you, you kind of don't get it um, when you wanted it. And, you know, I see both sides. It's easy to be angry about something. Certainly there was a lot of angry voices. Um, but you can also understand that we literally can't ram people in buses at the moment um and have them out there um and whether we go back to it in future years i don't know it is always good if we can use existing start line and finish line infrastructure for a race um there's obviously benefits in being able to host something like that than have remote start lines and finish lines but it wasn't it's not about you know and people are quick to cast stones at iron man but you know there, there's not there wasn't a money saving exercise here we're lucky that we're able to have that 22k race because it could have easily have gotten scratched or they could have said hey everyone we're doing the narrow neck night run and you're all going out you know glenn <laughs> Raphael drive and back again um so you know there's, it, it is it's a pretty spicy course um and it's five times i would say almost five times as tough as the previous editions of the 22k course they've almost got as many steps as the 50k have um, and they've got it in a much compact distance and the athletes that they invite or encourage to do the 22k course are not generally seasoned trail runners so um, it's going to be a lot to unpack for people and I mean I sit in between you know Ironman I don't work for Ironman I'm a trail runner and coach so I you know I sit in between the two communities really and the messaging has just been prepare yourself for what is going to be a very challenging day it's going to be a slow day I think for a lot of athletes I think that landslide is going to prove very difficult for a lot of people not so much the stairs. Uh, what do they call it? It's I see it's trending now on Facebook as hashtag landslide parkour. So um, <laughs> there, it's it's going to brick badly through there late in the start waves. And um, I don't know how that feedback's going to come back, but I, I'll i keep smiling and, and waving people in on the finish line. But um, there may be some pretty short fuses at the top of further stairs. We'll see. Yeah. Well, um, uh, it'll be yeah. You go, Tom. Kerry, what? Uh, let's talk about the finish line then, because that's obviously where your interest is. What are some of the great memories you've got? Um, not only of the of the front of the field, but have you got any sort of standout moments from mid packers or backpackers, as well as you know the podium races that sort of spring to mind when you you know when you think you're going to be back there in you know under two weeks' time and you're going to be there in the moment again? What what memories come up for you? Yeah, without, this is an easy one because I actually, I think about this one a lot and um, I've seen a lot on finish lines. I've seen, you know, tens of thousands of athletes finish in various finish lines, Tatawera, UTA and, you know, Margaret River, Surf Coast, all of these events that I do finish line commentary for. And definitely the highlight of, of my entire commentary career was um, seeing someone finish at exactly 14 hours in the 100k and for those that that aren't aware of it ultra trail australia in the 100k you have a you have a you know gold gold belt buckle if you win it silver belt buckles up to 14 hours and then uh, 18 hours and under is a bronze belt buckle and after that you get what i call the beige medal of participation but you know it's 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 a prize (laughs) it's a prize for completing 100ks but you know the belt buckle cutoffs are such an incredibly intense experience on the finish line because as you get to that 13 hours 50 you know the athletes they know it you know it's kind of 
all of Start Group 1 should get it and half of Start Group 2 should get it. But you do get athletes peppered through other Start Groups that are that are on about that 14-hour bubble. And they know when they're pushing through, um, you know, the water treatment and Ferber and trying to get to the top of the stairs that they've got a, sh- a shot of making this 14 hour thing. And we had a woman who was in the start, start group one, uh, Mark Jackson. She was the only veteran veteran woman in start group one that day. And she rounded the corner on 1359.52, And she pretty much had eight seconds to get, you know, down the step at Scenic World and up the road to the finish line. And the, the crowd is screaming and I am screaming and and everyone's hair is on end and she goes under the archway at exactly 14 as the clock ticks over and we wait for confirmation from the, the timing tent that she has run exactly 14 hours and zero seconds. And the way that the timing works is it rounds to the nearest second. So she has either run 13.59 and change or 14.00 and a small amount. And because it rounds back to the nearest, she is as likely to have gone under as she has gone over. And there's simply no way for us to tell. So we're going to call it 14 flat and give her the silver belt buckle. And wow. are absolutely electric. And you could have had... Jim Wormsley and Killian Journey sprinting for the finish line, and it wouldn't have had as much tension as this moment did. And if anyone has managed to rob a wristband to go and watch anything at all for the weekend, it'll be come down and see that 14-hour cutoff because it is, is un, it's unbelievable. The people are they're buckled, they're hobbling. Some people are diving for the line. You get everything, and it's incredible. It That's, reminds me of we all love yeah. watching the videos and everyone shares it of the golden era at Western States and all the all the videos that come through of people trying to get in and finish that race under the cutoff as well. Um, it, the other one that it brings it reminds me of is watching the finish of Comrades where the gun goes off and they literally will pull people off the finish shoot not let them finish. But those kind of cutoff moments are just unreal. And I think I've seen it once down at UTA. I was around at that fourteen hour cutoff. And there was someone coming in. I think around it wasn't quite fourteen flat, but it was really really close. And like you said, the excitement's just as good as waiting for the finisher to come, the first finisher to come through. And people love it. And like you said, hopefully people that are listening to this, there'll be a lot that have family coming down as well that get around to that finish line. Like you said, it's it's probably the one couple of the memories you'll take away other than your own day is, you know, watching these other people come through at these pretty impressive, pretty impressive goal times. Um, are we, um, yeah, Kerry, this year, are we, have we got family at the finish line or is it is it crew only or is it no crew and no family? I've seen a, a, a couple of posts from Ultra Trail. Yeah, don't don't put me to task on the details. I did. I only I've only seen their Facebook post, but I believe yep. that there's each athlete gets a spectator band to assign to one person that can come to the finish line okay. on the race day to watch them finish. And I think under 16s are allowed, regardless. But it's all just that COVID safe business. We they have to be able to somehow keep track of who's how many people are at the finish line. Um, and I, like I totally understand. I mean, it's not yeah. again. Iron Man have copped it, and I can't under, I kind of can't understand why because they're just trying to host an event, and yeah. they're not selling wristbands. It's like there's nothing in it for them. <laughs> they are on a hiding to nothing here, and um, it's it's just one of those. You know, what are you really angry about? People are angry about something. I get it, but maybe go outside and shout at a tree or something because blowing up on Facebook is is unkind to the human beings that have to deal with it.
I think, no, I think I from think my point of view, well. yeah, Kerry, when I stand on that start line, I think it's just 100% gratitude to every single person behind the Ultra Trail brand and Ultra Trail Australia that this event is on because, you know, there's so many things that are still getting postponed around Australia and around the world. So, you know, we missed one year. You know, we're, we're back, you know, and, and before you know it, it's, it's going to feel exactly as it did before, you know, when you... <laughs> As when you leave that when you leave that start line, um, the course is the same, the feeling's gonna be the same, the pain's gonna be the same. So um, yeah, I think for me it's just gonna be hundred percent gratitude to be on that line. Any before we move on to some um, athletes from this year, are there any, you know, standout podium races? Not necessarily sprints to the lines, but moments where you didn't know who was gonna pop up the top of the further steps, because I know we go through a checkpoint at the bottom, so you have a bit of an idea, but are there any years where it's it's been the front two or three um, that have sort of stuck in your memory? I've seen the, the podium change on Ferber Steers a number of years. It's not actually uncommon that a year will go by where either the men's or women's race that, you know, second doesn't become third and third becomes second or something along those lines. More often than not, first will get away with it, but um, it's, it's going to be in those, you know, twos and threes, and you, you don't know who's going to round that corner or someone's had a blinder. And you could only imagine if you've been chasing someone for you know, nine hours plus out there and you see them going up further stairs, they're married to the handrail getting their way up and you grab a handrail, you're following their heels. There's not a lot of space to pass there. Are you asking for it? Are you all elbows? Do you defend the line? What do you do? You know, like you, you must imagine how tense those moment, moments would be for those hyper-competitive athletes that are racing for a top three podium finish and it changes all the time. No, I think exactly on that. I don't know. I was just going to say, I don't know if you were there or doing it at that year, Kerry, but I, one of my, like, the one memory I can just remember from UTA was, I can't even remember what year it was. It might have been 2014 or 15, um, and Stu Gibson and Andrew Tucky raced around that corner together to win the 100, and it was a sprint finish down the chute. And I reckon that, that was my first ultra that day. That was my first ever 50K. And I remember standing at the finish line after I'd raced and watched that and thought, this sport is unbelievable. Like these guys, I just couldn't believe that they'd race for like nine, ten hours, and they just sprint finish down the finish chute. And I just remember the atmosphere that day was unbelievable. But that was ridiculous. And Kyle, I think it happened to um to Tom Brimley, didn't it? A couple of years, but two years back, did he? The guy who was in third, I think, ended up winning the fifty, and Tom ended up overtaking someone. I'm pretty sure Tom said there was a change of the lead going up the stairs on further steps. Um, in 2019, I think it was around when, that, or maybe just before the couple of k's yeah. before the finish, I think it was late on. When, it happened I think to Tommy Greg Gibson as well, yeah. came flying past all of them and and got it. But yep. yeah, there's, been, there's always changes, and like you said, Kerry, that it's it, what a hard place to try and finish if you're in second catching someone. Like, <laughs> how do you get past? Like, you go into survival combat mode and just block them. Like, <laughs> you just can't get past them. So <laughs> we need a camera on the top of those stairs to try and follow those races in case that ever happens, because it would be yeah. quite. Quite, quite funny. But that probably leads us into something else we were going to talk about because we always do love talking about these events, but we always get competitive with who we think is going to do well in these events. And we've got a few a few friends who are who are lining up for some of these races that we think are going to be going to be very, very competitive. And that, I suppose, talking about Tom leads us in. I suppose we'll talk about the 50K. Yeah. I don't know if you've been following following Tom's training or have had a look at it over the last couple of months, but... He's going to be hard to – I know you're going to get up now and have a look. He is – his training – he's one of those people I watch train and just it's frustrating how good his training is, how much he does right in his training. And just some of the runs he's put in over the last six weeks, 
I, it's going to be a good race. But I, again, Tom's got the list of some of the some of the favourites. Yeah. But so I'm Kerry, I'm a big just, day from him. I've just been through the numbers that they've given out for um, you know for the I guess the top ten in each of the races. And for the 50K, they've got Blake Turner, Justin Whiteley, Courtney Atkinson, who we know up here, um, great member of the Goat Loop uh, sort of entourage <laughs> as well, um, Martin Gafuri, James Alexander, Tom Brimelow, who was obviously up northern Gold Coast, Jared McPherson, Jody Wall, and Henry Coombs, who's a good mate of ours as well, has got um, the number 10 uh, number. Are there any people there? I mean, I don't know how well you know all of these athletes and particularly whether because it's not an international field this year and they're obviously Australian and, and local. Is there any names that jump out? Is there anyone that you can, you know, put your money behind and say this is who you think it's going to be or is there a top three or is like, I mean, how well do you know these guys going in? No pressure. No pressure. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, no. Uh, if a form guide is probably not my forte given that I've got <laughs> some nearly 500 athletes that Ali and I manage and it's pretty hard to manage the form of those 500 athletes that alone the you know 10 to 20 um you know running nerds that I'm sure they're doing just fine out there with what they're doing but yeah you know that we're looking at a good three-week taper that one of the one of the true signs of who's going to stuff up at UTA is the person who wins Mount Solitary or um or even you know, you can just about flip the results from six foot track some years um, with UTA results because even like that amount of spend that close to an event, I think athletes these days really underestimate how much time it takes for the body to absorb the training load, but, uh, you know, center itself and really be in that genuine homeostasis ready to race. And, It'll probably, I would say, if you were to take all of those athletes and say, hey, we're all cracking a similar, you know, let's say VO2 max, or they're all cracking similar marathon times, they're all equally good on terrain, it's going to be the one that's actually probably dialed it out early enough and hasn't been racing hard in the last two months. Yeah, yeah. good call. I think that'll be, because I think if we move on to the the females, we have one of the runners coming down from Queensland. I don't know if you'll know Risha. Um, she's only burst onto the scene in the last probably 12 months, but she won the Guzzler 50K outright reasonably comfortably. Yeah. Um, and Ooh. she, if you, if you jump onto her Strava, you'll see some. So she, she trains um, <laughs> Kerry up on the Sunshine Coast, so she often does reps of Biwar and Tibragagan and things like that. Like her, Ooh. I think her vertical gain this year so far is close to 80,000 metres. Um, it's extraordinary where she's come from. She's number 22 behind Simone Brick. Um, and then the other girls there, Gemma Jenkins, who's first 2019, it says, um, is there, and Hayley Teal. Hayley Teal's another girl who lives in the, in the um, northern parts of the Gold Coast. She does a lot of vertical stuff as well. She's been down to the Alpine Classic. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a pack field again in, in the girls. Simone Brickett says she got second in the 22 in 2018, so she's been given number 21. So that's going to be, I mean, just from a local point of view for Queensland, um, the ones that we know. The, sending the a good team between, down. It's good. Yeah, the, the, race, <laughs> the, the race between Risha Lewis and Hayley Teal is one that we are absolutely fascinated in here um, because we, we haven't seen those two. Well, they raced, uh, Carl, did they race? Um, coastal. Uh, coastal? They raced, they raced Coastal, didn't they? Yeah, they raced Coastal there. Um, so it would be great to see them go head-to-head uh, in the 50. But, yeah, it's the 50 is going to be a fast race, a tough race and a quick one. I don't know. I wouldn't want to call it. <laughs> it's um, 
Look, if I've watched enough State of Origins, I'm pretty sure that New South Wales couldn't win something if it was handed to them. <laughs> so, uh, if if it's anything like State of Origin, then like Queensland will just come down and burgle it, and then you'll be wonder how it happened, and they'll you guys will be back home with all the trophies. Um, <laughs> Reese has just been out for a 43k run. Um, yeah. Yes. And yeah, like I, I again. My, just settle. Call your head, call your jets, love. Let's go. Come on now. We're gonna ease it on. And the big main event is only a couple of weeks away. And you know now's not the time for pumping in forty three k runs. Yes, I, I um, it's I purpose, it's I purpose, crazy I to watch them come yeah. through. I stayed off Strava this last weekend for that pretty much exact reason. Um, and what about the big one? Uh, the big one, Kerry. We've got the male race. I mean, just going mm. through the the numbers that we're given out. You know, Ben Duffus, Brendan Davies, John O'Loughlin, Vlad Shatroff, uh, Morgan Linkvist, um, Dave Burns in there. Like this, that is a phenomenal field of just of local talent. That male race must be incredible. You have got guys there. I mean, Ben Duffus is he's he's run, another Queensland boy. He's running out of his. In and Kyle, you've said, haven't you? I reckon you, we're going to take everything. I reckon we might take the lot Ooh, this weekend. Oh, that is a big call. You, you're going to go Duffus <laughs> on that one, are you, Kyle? Yep, I'll back him. I'll back him. So over the so local boys. I'm a little bit better at this one. This is a little bit more in my wheelhouse. So what I – and I don't – let's not discredit any of these guys. They are outstanding athletes. They're all great. So this is not – This please don't ever interpret that I'll cast any stones here. Duffus occasionally doesn't travel particularly well. Uh, worse so internationally than than locally. But he's he, if the race was outside his front door, he would beat anyone in the world at it. But the further he seems to get from his house, the more it can rattle him. I think he's very much a um, like a routine kind of a guy, and he needs his build up to be just so he can't be disrupted from it. You know, breakfast has to be perfectly um, toasted. You know, like it can't he, just anything will rattle him and. Um, and you'll either get just incredible. Like his what is twenty two k time last year was outrageous. And mm. oh, sorry, two years ago. Um, and if you get anything like that, Ben Duffus, I don't think anyone will touch him. And, and you're right, Queensland win it. But then almost the same I could say about Vlad Shatrov. In that Vlad Shatrov's hundred miler at Tatawera, um, um, he, he blew Jeff Browning's time to pieces. You know, like he he was unstoppable. He pretty much fair hoof sprinted a hundred miles around Tarawera and didn't didn't really show any signs of slowing. However, Vlad is easily rattled as well. If you jam up too much on the start line, he goes out too hard. If he is having a, a little bit of a speed wobble and someone catches him at an aid station, he can call it quits. Um, so you know, both of those guys, as incredible as they are a little bit glass cannons at times um and you know you always wish the best for them but you know morgan or anyone else could possibly run away with it you know given the right conditions and and simply just probably having those guys locking horns means you're in for a ding-dong battle like i don't think you're going to see a scenario where someone steps off that start line and they they are leading that race from start to finish and and win it outright. I think you'll see uh, positions change, and I think you'll probably see a significant number of them not finish inside the top ten. Those you know really? the top ten names definitely. Just because of how competitive it's going to be and how much of a race it's going to be, it's going to tear some of them half. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think there'll be a lot of them going. This is the year where the internationals aren't coming. They want to. 
they want it. Someone local is going to win it. And I think that's there'll be a few of them thinking like that going, you know, who knows who's going to be here in future years. Not like, you know, we haven't had the quality, you know, people like Debo and stuff here for a while, but it's there for the taking for one of them and someone's going to have to step up and, and take it. And I think it'll be interesting, like you said, it'll be people looking at someone like Vlad, but then you've got guys like John O. Morgan that are going to run good races. You know you're going to get a good solid race from them. And if any of the others slip up, they'll statch, they'll take it. They'll be right there. So it's going to be yeah. good to follow. I'm excited to follow yeah. it. And no one's mentioned Brennan Davies, who's defending Jack. Yes, that's right. So, I mean, yeah. and, and he's, I mean, no one knows the steers, you know, better than him. And he's he's not the sort of guy who's actually going to be running 330s, you know, off the line, but he's not going to stop running fours all day. So, um, you know, if anyone slides on a banana peel, he'll eat them up. And, and <laughs> he shows that he's he's capable of winning this event when it is an international field. So it's a big call to say that Queensland could come and take it because there's certainly <laughs> plenty of firepower in the New South Wales ranks. Well, yes, what no, about we pretty um, much got Ben versus the rest of the country, but yeah. What about yeah. The, in the female hundreds, Kerry? Do you know much about what's happening there? We know Lucy Bartholomew's coming down. Is Steph Austin racing the hundred? I don't believe Lucy's actually racing. I think that was a misfire. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I think she probably will be there um, supporting. I thought that she, um, she's she got other projects she's working on, I think, and international stuff. But um, we do we have a bit to do with Lucy. But um, she's. I don't think she's on a trajectory for UTA this year. The only couple of names, obviously, I don't know, Amy Lampractice, she was the reigning champion uh, from two years ago. Um, is she, she's back again, is she? You know, yeah, Amy's Amy's back yep. and 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 in good form. Uh, you know, sh- she's the on. You know, she's the one to beat. But as we've seen uh, with Risha, the the way that the women's sport differs from the men's is you will occasionally just get uh, just a rogue unit shop in the woods with a big axe, ready to chop down the biggest tree, and yeah. you'd be like, "Who was that girl?" Um, and you know it's entirely it's entirely possible you could see the likes of you know a relative unknown that has cobbled together you know we're two years on since our last real dance so it could be it could easily i could easily be calling in someone that you know we didn't hear about until the 50k mark yeah no well we've we've got uh number 28 for the female cecilia mathis she has done well up here at blackall and things like that so she would you know based on that she'll be around that you know, the top 10 mark. So depending on how good a day she has, she's done a bit of short course um, trial running of late as well and done quite well. So it's, um, oh, mate, it's going to be fascinating to see how it all unfolds. Um, I won't know too much about it because I'll obviously still be out there when all that's happening, but it'll be great to, <laughs> great to get a, we'll uh, a little update good. Yeah, as it comes through 50 you, and 60. You get the app, right? So everyone's yep. got the UTA app and you can follow athletes on that. So um, obviously, Tom, I'll have you in there. Um, and I'll have 350 other athletes in there that I'm keeping an eye on. Um, but you know, you definitely, you definitely can, if you want to pump in, you know, five to 10 names, you can, you can most definitely do that. And, uh, you can also see race leaders through different checkpoints. There's, there's certainly no questioning the quality of the, you know, the add on bells and whistles that you, you know, you get for what people would say is an exorbitantly expensive racing tree. And, um, they do do a good job of it. I imagine Kerry, I mean, I, I saw a photo on Facebook, must have been a week ago of you at the finish line where the microphone was on a table next to you and you looked like you were fast asleep at the end of it. Like, what time do you, what time do you clock off? What, what's your finish? Is it like the morning of the next day? 
Yeah, there's there's often been there's been some twenty seven and twenty nine hour shifts there because I mean it's a pretty early start getting start group one away and it doesn't really stop through the day. There's a little there's a brief respite, you know, whilst we're waiting for the first fifties to come in and you know and everyone else has been sent on their way, but it's it's not long enough to like you know, and I'm not going to go and have a sleep so. It then just sort of ramps up and, you know, reading a list of names, but, you know, doing my job. And then you try to keep the right amount of energy for the right moments um, and preserve my voice. Obviously, we get through some prize givings whilst we're going as well. I will try and sneak away for a sleep at some stage. But, you know, my whilst I really want to be there to see that silver belt buckle, you know, cut over, a lot of my athletes, a lot of our squadron athletes are going to be 15 hours, 16 hours, 17 hours. So really the bulk of, you know, it'd be, it'd be almost wrong for me to put down the microphone and go, this is my opportunity to have a sleep. But realistically, it's it's probably about the only opportunity I'm going to get. And then we'll work through the commentary team through the night trying to keep um, keep things ticking over the, 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 the vibe sort of changes a little bit when you get to like, you know, two or three in the morning, it's less about, you know, shouting down a microphone and pumping everybody up. You've got a lot of, you know, cold support crews and, you know, your wife and kids might be there, um, you know, unscheduled 3am, you're not having a good day, but they, they want to see you finish kind of deal. That's, that's all happening too. So it's, it's less about, you know, geeing everybody up and shouting down further stairs and we'll get into some interesting animal facts and various other <laughs> entertainment um, as well, we do. Oh, Kiwi's making fun of Aussies, Aussies making fun of Kiwis. Yeah. Are there still I'm many in- of the Kiwis coming across, Kerry? Because I know there's been like, it's only been a recent kind of development that you're all able to kind of get across reasonably uninterrupted are the majority coming across or did that affect numbers quite a bit it will affect the new zealand numbers we we're Mm. obviously the biggest international audience there's still you know plenty that are going but um because it was so late a lot of people had transferred out of their entries Mm. uh i i have some friends i don't you know a small handful of my new zealand athletes are coming over um the the best uh, obviously, the best of the AROC um, team, most of the, the the best people that deliver events are, are Kiwis. Um, so the, a lot of the Ironman team from New Zealand, um, editorial photographer, uh, myself, you know, a lot of the, the obviously the, the best people in Australasia are Kiwis. So we we prop up that event, uh, even though you may not realise it. Uh, it wouldn't, we, it wouldn't run it, the same it. way without it. Yes, right? no. And we're lucky that you can all get here safely now which is which is good but what is cool it is it is kind of like it is an entirely anzac affair right you know we're in a situation where it's you know it's just us like like it was back in gallipoli right so we'll just uh we'll we'll buckle down and get it done and we won't have to worry about um pandering to the needs of americans or whatever it might be so and that, no, i think that's kind of it'll have a special feel to it i think everyone will remember this year but no it's going to be good Kerry, i got one last question are we ever going to see yep. you run it Oh, get out. Um, come on, come on, surely, surely at some point. Uh, uh, well, with our training camps, I do anyway. The, the short answer is no, almost certainly not. Um, it's definitely not. Like, I love doing things that I'm not good at, and I definitely would not be good at that. That is not my kind of run. You line me up on a straight bit of road to run 100Ks, and that's that's my ultra marathon. But th- that that is the worst country for me. Being, you know, still a portly IT guy, I'm going to struggle to get up and down all of those stairs. I do every year that we do training camps. I get 
battered by it. And I would be dirty dog last, even if I went in there with <laughs> half reasonable form. Um, no, we do course mark and course strip when we can. So again, I get out. I mean, I, I obviously I'm on the course just about more than anyone in the country. Um, but it definitely won't be with a race number on. No way. No, thank you. I, I've I've been out there and done that three peaks. Um, you know, challenge with you know yeah. try and bag all of those peaks in under three hours. So yeah, again, no strangers sort of shambling around in the Blue Mountains. But um, no, uh, no, no, thanks. <laughs> Well, mate, I, I thought um, that was going to be the response. Yeah. I mean, your your job, like you said, you've the the thirty second call that you give every single one of us as we as we cross that line, just it stays with us forever. I remember, you know, when I did Ironman Cairns five years back, you know, just that red carpet was everything, and it's the same at UTA. I've often said it, the Iron UTA has that Ironman feel; it has that big race feel, which is why I think everyone goes down there and. I said, your the calls that you give people as they come across, they they stick with people for a lifetime. No pressure there, but it, it sticks with everyone for a lifetime. And um, <laughs> you know, it just it's you know, I I finished my most of my long training. You know, last weekend I had a smaller one just you know a couple of days ago. I left Narang, and it was probably the first time I got excited as I was driving home in the car. I thought I actually got that butterfly in the stomach, and I went, okay, it's done now. I can't do anything. So all you can do is get excited um and get pumped up for the day and it was a real change in, in just that gut feeling that i had where i was like okay this is now it's the fun this is the fun the training's the hard part you know the fortnight leading up to it is fun and all we do is check the weather app i think that's all we're going to be doing from queensland looking at how cold it's going to be and whether it rains a bit or anything like that but um yeah mate thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and and getting a bit of an insight into what it's like to see the race from the other side of that finish line it's I hope you get a buzz from it. You seem like you do. Uh, yeah, uh, you, you crash out pretty bad. I tell you, Tuesday, Wednesday, that the old black dog comes to visit. But you, there's nothing. Yeah. Everything's in balance in the universe, eh? So yeah, um, yeah. For, I always fall out the other side of these big events, and um, you just want to go sit in a darkened room and and not talk to anyone, and you know have a, have a bit of a cry, and and you know part of it's the mourning for the loss of the thing that's all over, and. You're not back there for another year, but yeah. I genuinely look forward to seeing everyone on the start line and then getting them back home again at the end. It's one of those events where uh, we do our best to get every athlete through the course safely and, and back home again. So um, I, I, it has my full support and it'll always have, you know, just as much heart as I can throw at it. Yeah, it's brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thanks for your time, Kerry. We finally got you on after all this time. Thank you very much for that. I think everyone will appreciate that. And I think there's probably a lot of people that know you through finishing these races, but don't actually know that much about you. So I think there'll be a lot of people up this way that now will have a good insight and will be really looking forward to, to seeing you at that finish line. Mm-hmm.